Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Gabe Friedman, and you're listening to Down to Business. This week, I spoke to David Dodge, a former governor of the Bank of Canada and currently a senior advisor in the Ottawa office of the law firm Bennett Jones. Dodge credited the Canadian government with doing a pretty good job in getting checks out to people and to businesses who were hurting during the pandemic. But until now, we've basically paid people to stay home and keep consumption levels stable, he said. The challenge in the long term will be for the government to figure out a way to invest money that's going to increase the long-term productivity of Canada. We spoke about other challenges that await Canada after we emerge from the pandemic, including how to compete as the locus of technological innovation, in his opinion, shifts from the West to Asia, and how to find the correct balance of regulation for our own tech ecosystem. Hey, David, thanks so much for joining me on Down to Business. Uh, Good to join you this morning. So I I don't need to repeat the ways in which the past 10 months have been incredible. I mean, the worst pandemic in a century, worst economic crisis since the Great Depression. But it is a new year and a new U.S. president has taken office. So I wanted to see if you would share some of your reflections on what has been most extraordinary in the past 12 months. Well, for all of us everywhere in the world, it it, it has been uh, difficult coming to grips with this thing. I, I guess uh, if you'd ask me what what I've learned from this, first is I think I think it has reminded us of the fragility of our system that we built as we've become more economically efficient as we've concentrated the production uh, more efficiently in fewer locations around the world as we've extended supply lines uh, all of that has increased the fragility of our system so what the pandemic has re- has in a sense reminded us is that of that fragility and hence I think We've learned a bit to go back and emphasize a little bit more sustainability, anti-fragility type measures as against those things that will get us to the absolute bottom of, uh, of a cost curve. Can you say just a little bit more about what you mean about the fragility of the economy? It's interesting to hear because so often when I talk to economists on the show, they talk about how the economy has been very resilient through all of this. Yeah, fragility comes from the fact that when you get a shock, that fact uh, we have organized ourselves in such a way that that, that shock actually perturbs uh, our ability to deliver uh, goods and services, or just our ability to live our lives in the way that we had had planned for. You know, the the world is uncertain, and what we've come to learn, what this experience has been, that we have to plan for greater uncertainty uh, going forward than we like to like to be able to do before this 
So the government of Canada has taken some really extraordinary measures in the past year. You said last year at one point that the government needs to do more than just invest in public and private consumption. They really need to invest uh, for this country's future. Can you explain what you meant? Yeah. So we in this country have, outside of the oil and gas industry, where for a while we invested fairly heavily, uh, we in fact have been not investing very heavily. We've not been investing to the degree that we should have in intellectual property. We've not uh, we've not been investing in trying to bring forward new processes and new ways of doing things, and that that is uh, is a real issue, and. So if we think of this period we've just been through, what the government has been trying to do, because it is possible, and in a sense, we sort of know how to do it in terms of transferring money to households, we've really been trying to just maintain consumption in this country rather than thinking hard about using this opportunity to invest. And this is not just the government. I would say this has been true also of of Canadian firms. Not that that's been new particularly, but that is a trait that one can see in this country that has been going on really since the great financial crisis. And so, so my criticism was that unless we make those investments for the future, that we're going to continue to run current account deficit, that we we are not making the investments will allow us to increase our output of the goods and services, which not only we want here in Canada, but what the world wants. Yeah. Is there low-hanging fruit? Are you thinking of infrastructure projects, or is it more like policies like low-cost childcare that could help raise the labor participation rate? Is there any low-hanging fruit in terms of investment? There are some, but remember the nature of investment is that it pays off over time. It doesn't necessarily pay off tomorrow. Right. And so it's important to think about those things in terms of the longer term payoff that will increase the productivity of our labor force, which will be shrinking as a share of the total population as, as we get older. The investment side is hard. It's harder to think about exactly what to do, just as it's hard for a corporation to know in in a more uncertain world how the how its investments in machinery and equipment and and intellectual property will pay off. Yeah, that makes sense. One of the challenges for the government when it comes to investment too, besides figuring out where to put this investment is is that it's politically difficult. Like you said, there's no immediate payoff. It's a long-term payoff. And what people talk about and what people see in the short term is the borrowing, is that the debt to GDP ratios going up, the budget deficits. How much does it concern you that we've borrowed unprecedented amounts in 2020 that we'll probably borrow more in 2021 and probably in 2022? Well, it does. I mean, that's, that's what I've been writing about, and that's why what what's really important is to ensure that that we use the funds 
that we borrowed to do things that will increase our future output capacity. And I just stop there to say, having said that, in the in the short run, we really had little option uh, but to try sustain system through a period where we could have actually destroyed capacity had we not sustained firms and we not sustained relationships between two workers and and their employer. So I, I, I don't I don't want to be too critical in that sense that, that we had relatively few options and at the margin we probably could have done better, but that's that's what we had to do. And as we're thinking about 21 and 22 and should have been thinking about this last summer and fall about uh, how to, to put that support as much as possible into strengthening our supply capacity. That was my real criticism. Not that not that we shouldn't shouldn't have borrowed uh, money in uh, 2020. We we needed to su- support strengthen our supply capacity. Can you say more about what you mean in, with that? Yeah. So what we did, if you think about it, just on the labor side, we we paid people to stay home. Uh-huh. We did not pay people to undertake training and skill improvement that would increase their ability to produce in the future. And so I think we missed an opportunity while we had people sitting at home. We missed an opportunity to actually augment our production capacity down the road. Yes. In this regard, you have said elsewhere that you think the pandemic accelerated the shift to a technological world and that Asia is really the epicenter. And so the challenges for Canada is how do we compete? Can you explain what what you were talking about? So by the time we get to the end of 2022, China will have grown about 20% over the years, 2021 and 22. You know, we in the West will have grown maybe 4% uh, over that period, maybe 5 if we're very lucky. And, and, and China has increased its capacity, its technological end, the, the higher end uh, of the uh, production capacity. And so it becomes a much more formidable competitor. And indeed, the locus of that technological development has really shifted from the West to, to China over this period. And that poses a, a real challenge for us and a, a real challenge how we trade and integrate into that global system where the locus of new invention uh, and a progress, which has been firmly uh, in the West and firmly in the United States for many years, really has shifted. And that's a big challenge for us, sitting as we do next to, if, if you will, the declining technological power. And, and this is sort of the issue, I guess, of the moment, right? I mean, there's few issues that are as big. Right. And it's a very difficult issue for us here in Canada. Yeah. I mean, there's no real easy solution to it, I think, from 
there's a lot of debate about what we should do because in Canada, we do have giant tech companies coming here. But the criticism of the tech policy that I've heard is that, you know, letting the big tech companies come in and open these offices is actually taking talent away from homegrown companies. And because those tech companies' profits aren't really staying in Canada, they're probably going to the US or wherever they're headquartered, that we need to be a little more cautious and deliberate about our policy. And so I'm wondering what your take is on on sort of how to grow our tech economy. Um, no, no. You, we certainly don't want to close borders. Closing borders is, is a recipe for failure in the long run. So the, the real issue is why is it that some of our companies have not grown and, and become world players in the way one might have hoped? have been bought out along the way, how, in fact, you actually grow those those leaders. And those leaders are, are important. We, we've learned that. And so the technological ecosystem that we have in this country needs a few big players that are domestic and that are headquartered domestically. And you really hope that that, that would happen. And I don't think you you get there by stopping foreign companies coming in. How best to support our companies is a difficult one, other than, than the things that we continuously point out. That you need a regulatory system in this country that is predictable and certain, that you need a reasonable tax regime, that all of those underlying base things are very important. And it may be that we've been falling back a little bit in our ability to deliver good, predictable, basic, the basic framework that allows companies to grow. I mean, one of the things we clearly have learned is that science is really important. Uh, the basic research is really important. But that what we need to do is to, to facilitate the working of the uh, those that are doing basic research with those that are putting it in into practice and uh, commercializing it, and and that is, that is a real challenge for us here in this country. Our record on the basic research is actually quite good. Our record on the commercialization is not so good. Other company, other non-Canadian firms, and other countries seem to have developed ecosystems, particularly in the United States, where that translation of basic research into uh, commercial output it, it is faster. And, and I don't have any good uh, magic bullet as how we can do better, but that ecosystem, if you will, is absolutely critical going forward, and that's clearly one on which we all have to work. And that's up to all of us. It's up to the universities, it's up to the uh, private enterprise and up to governments. This is the tech ecosystem you're talking about too, and sort of like how do we prevent our companies from getting bought? And there's, that'll be interesting to see if there's there's a lot more scrutiny on that. Well, yeah, I think you want to be careful when you say prevent prevent them, because that part, that part of the ecosystem is uh, that's how some of the, the really interesting research is getting done and, and it's 
getting done by the small guys and then implemented uh, by the bigger guys. Our problem is we don't have that many of the bigger guys who are the acquirers uh, in, in this process. We do have some, but but uh, relatively few. Relatively few. That's why it seems like most of our sort of most promising companies always seem to get bought out. As a result, we don't have this sort of home, this homegrown talent ends up leaving Canada. I mean, you've seen that with all sorts of artificial intelligence, which Canada has been a leader in. So maybe prevent is too strong a word, but maybe there needs to, I mean, do you see us tightening the sort of scrutiny of foreign deals and foreign buyers? Yeah, it's just not clear to me exactly what governments do if there isn't the desire and drive on the part of the founders, if you will, of, of these of these innovative companies to be number one in the world to carve out a global position. And and it's very tempting, clearly, to, to sell out along the way. And, of course, that is part of the problem of having the concentration uh, that we have in terms of the big firms, the the fangs and so on, that the concentration that they have indeed means that for founders, perhaps the right thing to do is to sell out rather than than to go up against the, the big guys with their monopoly position, but in the, their incredibly deep pockets to be able to preserve that that position. And, and that's a big problem. That's not just a Canadian problem. That's a global problem that we face of what, what does competition policy look like? What should it be doing and how to do it in the 21st century? In many ways, it's a challenge that we face, not unlike the challenge that was faced at the end of the 19th century, but really, with, you know, that was railroads and this has been a fascinating conversation, and I wish we could talk for so for longer, but I really appreciate you coming on the show, David. Okay, you take care. Good luck, Dave. That was David Dodge, a senior advisor in the Ottawa office of the law firm Bennett Jones. Thank you for listening to Down to Business, and thanks to the team behind this episode, Bryce Hall for music and production, Yadula Hussein for editing, and Pamela Heaven and Victoria Wells for web support. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend and rating us on your podcast app. I'm Gabe Friedman, and until next week, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com.